So, today we're going to learn a very fundamental uh, talk of the Rebbe, and this is from Rengen, about antisemitism. <clears throat> In order to explain antisemitism, or it's not just explaining antisemitism, the, the Rebbe in this talk covers... I'm good, I'm good, thank you very much. Thank you, Rasa. Baruch Hashem. I'm okay, Baruch Hashem. Uh, in this talk that we're going to learn now, the Rebbe explains antisemitism and explains the position of Jewish leadership throughout history and the seeming uh, dissonance between, on the one hand, not trusting the, the, ha- the safe haven that the nations offer us and, and at the same time trying to get support from the nations of the world and how these two things come together how could, how could you have both? You're trying to in, in trying to bribe the Gentiles and trying to convince them, and at the same time you're not trusting them. It, this 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 um, it seems like an exercise in futility. If you don't trust them, so why are you trying to bribe them? And if you don't trust in Hashem, so so this this um, seeming dissonance that explains with very clear words in this uh, talk about how um, on the one hand the Abisha tells us to don't rely on a miracle, and he brings a pasuk. The pasuk is. If Hashem will not guard the city, the guardian is guarding for naught. And I was going to explain how uh, the, the Abishter guards the city, and the guardian is insignificant, but Hashem tells us to also get a guardian. So if Hashem does guard the city, then you need to get indeed, then the, the guardian is indeed only like the axe in the hand of a woodchopper, the guardian doesn't have any power, but Hashem tells you that He wants you to use a guardian, He wants you. To, um, uh, to to hire someone. In a similar way, Jewish leaders indeed did not trust the anti-Semites throughout history, and we'll see why in a second, why they didn't trust them, and where the hatred comes from. Uh, but on the other hand, yes, and we'll discuss that, Mr. Shem, what's the cause of the hatred? What's the cause of the hatred? Where does the hatred come from? A few years ago, I was working with Rabbi Chaim Miller, uh, a few years ago, it was more than 20 years ago, I was working with Rabbi Chaim Miller, <laughs> <laughs> on uh, on an encyclopedia for um, Chabad philosophy, so it never ended up getting printed. Uh, but it's very interesting. He made want to make an English encyclopedia. I know I didn't make it, but he, he wanted to make an English encyclopedia on different concepts of this. And it's very interesting that this encyclopedia that he was making had a erech, had a, uh, uh, a sub one of the subjects in the encyclopedia was about non-Jews. And I looked at his encyclopedia and I compared it with the... There is a Hebrew encyclopedia on Chabad Chassidus, which is still being made. Uh, they're up to like... They're still in letter Aleph, after like 30 years. Uh, Aleph Ches, Aleph Tes, Aleph Yud. Um, no, it's, it's a really incredible encyclopedia. Like, like uh, my mission is incredible. To, to really understand... To learn Chassidus and, and, and to see that... To see there's so many different angles to each question and to each concept in Chassidus. Anyway, so... There is also a, a section over there about, about Gentiles. And, I, and it looks like two different people. <laughs> the Gentiles that he's describing, the Gentiles that the Chasefa the, the Erechim are describing seem to be two different people. And I asked, I think it was Roshon Khartanov, I asked him, like, like I, I, my job was to edit it. I, I, didn't, I didn't make the encyclopedia. My job was just editing and make sure it made sense, whatever, it was correct. And I asked him, like, how could these both be, both be true? Because in Encyclopedia Talmudis, Encyclopedia of, of Chabad Chassidus, 
the one that Biel Kainal of Hashem worked on, there it depicts the Gentiles as anti-Semites and why they're anti-Semites. And, and where Rabbi Chaim Miller was quoting from how, how we have to influence the, the Gentiles of the world to keep the seven laws of Neach, and everyone has a spark of God in them. And it seems like two different people. And, and, and uh, he said that in, encyclopedia is not meant to be a comprehensive thing. It's just supposed to just uh, bring a few different items to light. And indeed, the title of this section of encyclopedia was B'nai Neach, Children of Neach. It wasn't Gentiles as Gentiles, it was as their children of Neach, commanded by Hashem to keep the seven laws of Neach. My point is that uh, there are a, there's a, a wealth of information on the subject, and, and uh, in this talk we're going to learn, we see a full picture of both anti-Semitism and um, where it comes from. And on the other hand, the, the, the Rebbe's... Uh, 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 but also highlights at the same time our obligation to inspire our Gentile neighbors as well. And Eber looks at all this through the prism of a story in the Megillah. Uh, it says in the Megillah that Achashverosh was asked by Haman uh, to destroy the Jewish people, and Haman said, Achashverosh, I'll give you 10,000 talents of silver. So Achashverosh is like, you can keep the money, we'll get rid of the Jews. So Medrash gives a parable to explain exactly what the exchange was. Medrash says it was a some one person who owned a ditch, one person owned a uh, one person who owned a ditch, and one person owned a field, and he had a mound in his di- a mound in his field. You learned it in Gemara. So um, I heard that's a sign on Taylor Schwan. So I recently heard that, that I heard this before, but some recent quote says it says if you, if you find two consummate they they cross each other, it means you're learning Torah for the right reasons. Anyway, so so um, the owner of the mound said to the owner of the ditch, "Hey, I need a place for my mound." The owner of the ditch is like, "Great, I need something to fill my ditch." So on the surface, the parable, Achashverosh uh, doesn't need these Jews. Haman doesn't like the Jews either. So um, so Medrash is giving a parable to say that Achashverosh doesn't need any special. Uh, what? Yeah. Right. So you don't need any special bribery to convince me to get rid of the Jews because they're bothering me anyways. I have a mound. I have a, it's in my field. I need to get rid of it. So the, 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 uh, the, the conversation to Anachashvedish and Haman is very simple. I don't like Jews either. Why do we need a parable? What's the point of the parable? When the Torah gives a parable, the point of a parable is to depict something that you can't understand without the parable. When something deeper, a higher, more sophisticated concept, so a parable is needed in order to bring us to the analog. But here, the hatred, the, the, the idea of, hey, I want you to do this for me, and like, I don't need the money, I would like to do this. That concept is very simple. What's the point of the parable? And what I was going to explain is that the, there's two reasons for antisemitism. There is antisemitism, and the parable is very precise, and each part of the parable has a message for us about what, where anti-Semitism comes from. There are people who look at Jews as something that don't belong in their world, like what they're, they look that they're, that they're um, unnecessary. It doesn't matter what the mound is, whether it's a mound of silver, a mound of gold, but it's, they look at it just as unless uh, they don't belong. They look at them as, as an unnecessary uh, part of their world, they don't belong in the world. And there are other Gentiles who look at Jews and they, and they look at their behavior and look at and, and they're and they're impressed by it and they're so impressed instead of trying to learn from them, um, they feel empty inside, and that emptiness 
causes them to, instead of, like the story of, of Shoma HaMelech, uh, when these two um, people were arguing whose baby it was, so the Shoma HaMelech said, Let's, we're going to cut the baby in half. The real mother is like, no, don't cut the baby in half. And the, and the one who was pretending to be the mother, who was posing as a mother, she says, yes, cut the baby in half, no one should get it. So in a similar way, when, when some Gentiles observe the, the superior conduct of Jews, so they feel very small, and therefore they say, let's get rid of the Jews. So that's, those are the two causes of anti-Semitism. And uh, Mr. Shem, that's the, the basic theme, and the way this decree was removed was not by convincing Ahasuerus by giving him money. He didn't even need, he didn't want money to give him more money. That wasn't a way to, a way to uh, convince him. The way to, way to change Ahasuerus was to go to the source of where this came from. The source, the, the, all this comes from that, from Ahasuerus or from Haman. They're just merely, uh, they think they are the owners of their fate. I'm the owner of the ditch. I'm the owner of the mound. I have the right to do what I want with a, with a ditch or with a mound because it's mine. They think they have a say. But the truth is that they it's not their ditch, it's not their mound, and the Abishter is the one who brought about this decree in the first place. And therefore, uh, the way to remove this decree is not by uh, trying to prevail upon Achashverosh or upon Haman, but it's by doing tshuva. And that's why um, the Jewish people, instead of their response to this was, let's gather all the children together, let's learn Torah, and let's fast, and let's do tshuva to Hashem. Because the cause wasn't anti-Semitism. Yes, Hashem wants them to work in nature as well, and therefore Esther should go to Achashverosh. But, as Rebbe highlights here in many other talks to the Rebbe, Esther didn't really prepare to see Achashverosh in a regular way. Someone even told me yesterday, I know this is possible, but someone told me that there's actually a book on the Megillah which says that Esther didn't fast. <laughs> I don't know, maybe, maybe there's some source of that in Judaism, I don't know, but it says clearly in the Megillah, I and my maidens will also fast. So it sounds, says clearly that she did fast. I don't know where they got that from, but the Rebbe always emphasizes that it would have made more sense for her not to fast. She had to present herself to Achashverosh, and therefore she should want to look as good as she could and to, and to make herself to be you know, as beautiful as she could, trying to impress this, this, uh, this, this lowly uh, tyrant king. And yet she fasts, which tells us that she wasn't really concerned what his opinion was of her and what how he would look at her. She was more interested in, in the source of where this was coming from, which is Hashem himself. And therefore, the, if there's a choice to make her appearance to look better or to make appearance to Hashem look better, obviously she chose to look better in the eyes of Hashem. Therefore, fasting was the, was, was the first thing she needed to do. So... Yes, Hashem wants us to work in nature as well. Therefore, she also went to Achashverosh. Before going to Achashverosh, though, she went to the Abishter, the one, who, the king of all kings. So, because because the source of anti-Semitism, the crisis against the Jewish people, has nothing to do with anti-Semitism. It has to do with Hashem and our relationship with Hashem. And therefore, tshuva is a way to um, to fix the uh, fix the issue. Okay, that's the, the basic theme of this talk. Let's let's learn it inside. We're on page. Um, Page uh, When our sages want to explain the, uh, the conversation and who Achashverosh and Haman were, they say, 
So the Medish gives a marshal. One guy had a mound in his field. Another guy had a, a uh, pit in his field. A ditch in his field. Owner of the ditch said, Who, where can I buy a mound to fill this ditch? And the owner of the mound said, Who, where, where can I buy a ditch to, to put this mound into? And after days went by, they met each other, and the owner of the ditch said to the owner of the mound, Please sell me your mound. And the owner of the mound says, please take the mound for free. The Muslim Nimshol, so the, this, the analog of this parable is as follows. When Hoban offered a 10,000 talents of silver, destroy the Jewish people. So it's like a uh, when Ham is asking a Chashverish to take the money to destroy the Jewish people, he is like the owner of a uh, ditch who says, I want to um, buy a mount. So a Chashverish says, keep the money and do whatever you want with these people. So it's like the owner of the mount who says, I don't need the money. I just want to get rid of my mount. You need to understand, what's the purpose of a parable? Why do you ever need a parable? When something's difficult to understand, they need a parable. And through the parable, you get a deeper look at the idea. But in our situation, here, Haman wants to hurt the Jewish people. And he finds Achashverish, who is like-minded, a kindred spirit. We also agreed. It's self-understood. We find in our time also people who hate the Jewish people, who are ready to pay money to destroy the Jewish people. Just like it is in our time, so too was this in the time of the Gemara. So too was this in the time of the Mishnah and in the time of Tanakh. As we say in the Haggadah, not only one anti-Semite has stood up against us to destroy us, but in every generation they stand up against us to try to destroy us. And the reason they do this is not because they get paid. On the contrary, they're happy to do it. Their whole energy, their whole excitement is to destroy us. That's what they're about. This is what happened, may never happen again. Why do we need to have a parable of these two people? One has a mound, one has a ditch. We know what Haman, Pare, Bilam, Lavan, we know what they wanted to do. In every generation, they're anti Semites, want to destroy us. What's the point of the parable? We need, another, we need to be explained what these people want. We know what they want. Bays, that's a question number one. What's the point of the parable? Question number two. Since this is a parable that's written about in the Torah, and the Torah is a Torah of truth, and regarding truth, you cannot say, 
only half of something. If something is true, you can't say it's half of it is true. If something is, if Torah is true, and Torah is giving this parable, you cannot say the parable is half true. And the second half of it is insignificant. It's unnecessary, it's not, or it's not true. You can't even say the majority of it is true, and a little bit of it is false. Because then it's not really true. It's a, it's a mixture of truth and falsehood. And therefore, when the sages talk about dreams, they want to explain how dreams are not a true prophecy. They say a dream cannot be complete without insignificant words there as well. There has to be words in the dream, parts of the dream, which aren't true. So you cannot call a dream a truth, because a dream has in it something which isn't true as well. However, a parable that Torah brings... The parable has to be in sync and attuned, not only in its general point. The simple idea of the parable, the analog of the parable is, one guy wants to pay for something, the other guy says, take it for free. That, I want to get rid of this. That idea is very simple. And the point of this parable is the specific items that are chosen in this parable are, are, are specific. There's a reason why we're talking about a mound and a ditch. We can understand why Achashverosh is compared to someone who owns a mound. He had 127 provinces, and there were many Jews in all these provinces. So he considered these Jews as unnecessary. They're a mound. What do I need them for? But where do we see in the analog that Haman was like someone who had a ditch in his field? How do we see in Haman that he was compared to someone who owned a ditch and by destroying the Jews, that would fill up his ditch? In the parable, if you want the do you want the floor of the field? Do you want the ground of the field to be level? You have to take a thing and put it in the field. You cannot fill a ditch by destroying something. In order to in order to fill a, a ditch, you have to put something inside the ditch. But in the analog, the way Haman is trying to fill his ditch is by destroying the Jewish people. How does that make sense? The parable must be correct because it's a parable of Torah. So comparing Achashverosh to a mound, we get that. What are these people doing here? I don't need them. But what's the, what's the parable saying when it compares Haman to a guy who owns a ditch? In order for a ditch to be filled, the ditch needs to have a thing to, put in, to be put inside. And here, Haman wants to annihilate the Jewish people. How is that going to fill his ditch? What does that even mean? Okay. So that's the, those are the questions in the parable. Understand this analog, what, what, well, it's our questions, the purpose of the parable in the first place, and second of all, the comparison of Haman to the owner of a ditch by first explaining the relationship between Jews and non-Jews according to Torah. The Torah tells us it is forbidden to steal from a non-Jew. 
And the Torah says further that uh, not only are you not allowed to place a stumbling block in front of a Jew, it says in front of a blind man, you not place a stumbling block, it also applies to a non-Jew as well. But you say it was even more, our obligation is not only not to put a stumbling block in front of non-Jews, not to not to make their li- not to cause them to make mistakes, not to go out of our way to make their lives miserable. That's not the, what the Torah is saying. Not only do I recommend not to put a stumbling block in front of them, but more, we have an obligation. The Rebbe says every single Jew has obligation to do all that he can to help and to assist non-Jews. To put them in the proper path so that they should keep their mitzvahs. They shouldn't only do this because it makes sense to do this. Rather, they should do this because God says so in the Torah. The Rambam writes that if a non-Jew keeps the seven laws of Nayach because it makes sense to him, so he's not considered one of the pious Gentiles. Rather, there are two different texts in the Rambam. One text the Rambam reads, they are considered from the wiser Gentiles, not from the pious Gentiles. Another text the Rambam is, they're not considered from the pious or the wise Gentiles if they're just doing the seven laws of Nech, just because it makes sense to do them. And it's a responsibility of every Jew to inspire non-Jews that they should keep the seven laws of Nech, not because it makes sense, but rather because God said so. In the Torah. Am I doing this? You are connecting them with God's essence. It's possible to write a full Shulchan Aruch with all the details of how the Jewish people are supposed to relate to Gentiles. Actually, the Rebbe said they should make such a Shulchan Aruch. Uh, the Rebbe said they need to have a Rav who is qualified to edit it. I know, I know there was such a Shulchan Aruch produced, Shulchan Aruch for non-Jews, um, but, but here, actually, I think the Rebbe is not talking about the non-Jews per se, but how Jews should relate to non-Jews. Not about, there's a Shulchan Aruch that they should make for non-Jews to how they should keep the seven laws of Nech. Um, but here, it seems like the, it's about, the Shulchan Aruch should be written about our relationship with them. So Jew is obligated, when Jews are able, to show non-Jews a path in life and how a non-Jew is supposed to live. So at the same time, the Torah tells us that we are obligated to assist non-Jews and surely not to cause them to make mistakes in their life, we have to actually go out of our way to assist them, etc. Uh, at the same time, the Torah also reminds us that we have to know, you have to do whatever you can to help the non-Jew, but if you think you're going to get kindness from him, you should know, uh, that kindness uh, to, of the nations is considered a sin, meaning that there is, you're not going, to, don't expect kindness from the nations. You have to help them, but don't expect this to be reciprocated. As the Torah says, Ashur, Assyria will not save us. We will not help ask from help from people, not from Assyria, not from Egypt. We will not ride on a horse, meaning we don't rely on Egypt who, that they'll send us horses. Uh, and not only will they not help us, on the contrary, it says in the Torah that Egypt is considered like a, a staff which is easily broken, which means that although it seems like you could lean on this staff, on the other hand, this staff is something which can easily break, so it's not like a, something which really could help you. On the contrary, it looks like it could help you, but actually it's the opposite. 
And uh, on the other hand, we find that Yirmiyo said, should daven for the welfare of the people that you live, in, you live amongst them. And Yirmiyo said they should send messengers to make peace with the Gentiles, with Nebuchadnezzar, and to pay the taxes that he asked them to pay. So although Nebuchadnezzar was not a greater tzaddik than the king of Assyria, and concerning Nebuchadnezzar, it's also true to say that the kindness for the Gentiles is considered a sin. Yet, the Torah says that Hashem says that regarding Pare, you should not seek him out as someone who will assist you. He is a like a staff that will break. Nebuchadnezzar, you should make peace with him. And uh, and, and so, so so we find this this dichotomy, it seems. On the one hand, Hashem tells us when to, how we should seek the, the help of non-Jews. Yes for Nebuchadnezzar, no for Pare. So we'll see tomorrow when yes and when no and how to figure that out. When you should try to seek their help or not seek their help. The bottom line, though, what we said today is, number one, that we have obligation to assist Gentiles, not just not to get in their way, but to assist them. And number two, don't rely on their kindness. Kindness is not something that you should expect from them. Ah, you should try to influence them and help them, etc. Yes, that's all true. However, um, however, uh, how to do that and when to do that, that we have to learn tomorrow. Okay, we'll stop here. Please need to look at it. Sounds like fighting. No, it wasn't fighting. I didn't hear it.